Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, a quick apology here. Some of the audio was a little bit patchy here, um, especially sadly Tiffany's. So I apologize in advance for that, um, but I think it's a good discussion. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. This week we are going to be discussing The Expanse, which is a show, as I said on last week's episode, um, American Psycho, when I was introducing what we were going to be covering this week, I said it's a show I'm not familiar with at all. So this is going to be one of those ones like when we did Doctor Who and a few other things where I'll be mainly moderating, but I'm excited to hear my panel discuss this. And we have two first-time panelists on, two wonderful guest panelists. So I'm very excited about that. But before I have my panelists introduce themselves, just a quick housekeeping note. As always, we are taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to 9.99 a month. If you want to support the show and also support one Black Lives Matter organization and one Stop Asian Hate organization per month, head on over to our anchor page and click listener support or click on the link in the show notes. And also remember, we have our Redbubble store, so you can get some fandom merch there. <laughs> like Tanya is holding up. You can't see it, but you can see it in the pictures that we've posted on our uh, social media pages. But remember, 50% of what we see from that also goes to one Black Lives Matter organization and one Stop Asian Hate organization. Okay, so I'm going to go around and have my panelists introduce themselves and tell me one thing that they're into right now in pop culture. I'll start with my two first-time panelists and start with Elizabeth. So hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to have you today. (laughs) So what's one thing that you're into right now? Oh, it's hard to pick, but um, I decided I would share my love of The Witcher. Um, I started watching the TV show, and because of that, I started reading the books. So um, I really like that. Awesome. That's actually the other episode we're covering this week. (laughs) So it's kind of ironic that that's the other one that we're covering this week is The Witcher. (laughs) And then also another first-time panelist, Paul, what are you into? And thank you for joining us, too. Greetings. Thank you. Um... I was trying to think about pulp, pop culture, too. Um, book I just started, uh, Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter. Um, I'd recommend it so far. Again, I found this good summary of it. It says it's an African-inspired fantasy with some European and Asian storytelling. Um, huh. So if a, one book can be pop culture, it's that. Um, if it would be something else, it would be I've started playing Dungeons and Dragons with my, my high school friends again. So wow. back to that. So those are my two <laughs> things at the moment. That's awesome. Yeah. And we very rarely get books on here. So I like getting books. I like getting kind of a mix. So thank you so much. And Tanya. Hi, I'm Tanya. And I roped my colleagues and friends into joining me. And so if you know me, you know, I've been preaching the gospel of James Holden and the expanse for everyone who listened to me for the last (laughs) six months. Um, So I'm going to be really boring with my pop culture recs, but it's going to be the expanse books. And I hate to tell you this if you're listening to this, but I kind of wish I would have read the books first. I didn't. Um, But the show is really good. If you don't want to read the show is awesome. Still watch it. Uh, And The Witcher, because I was rewatching that for our our recording (laughs) tomorrow morning. So, yeah, very fun. And then Tiffany. 
Hi, thanks for having me back, Erin. Uh, long time, no no talk to some of the folks and first time I meet to other folks, so yay. Um, let's see, what, what was my thing? Uh, Tournament of Champions on Food Network. Like I'm totally into it, I'm all in. My bracket <laughs> is shot to who knows what because the people that I had chosen to go in the finals, both got out so they both got out in the second round in the first round so yeah <laughs> tournament of champions though <laughs> yeah I do not cook I'm not a good cook but I love watching cooking shows like I used to love watching Top Chef and stuff but I cannot cook I'm just I'm terrible at that I can bake but not cook um, and this is Aaron. And what I'm into is there is a documentary on Hulu uh, called Kid 90, which is about um, a bunch of actors, kid actors in the 90s. It's Soleil Moonfry is the main one who, of course, played Punky Brewster. So it's about her. And she videotaped all her friends like she would do all these hours of footage. So it's a lot of footage from that and then talking to a lot of those kid actors as grownups now. So it's really interesting um, it's also got me into the other thing, which is uh, the Into the Wild soundtrack, Eddie Vedder's songs on that, because they play a lot of them on this documentary for some reason. And I just I love that movie, even with the trouble with Sean Penn and Emile Hirsch. But I still love that movie. So that's what I'm into. OK, so we're going to get into the expanse. Quick trigger warning, since I know uh, Me Too will come up uh, in reference to one of the actors on here. So if anything is triggering for you in regards to sexual assault or anything in that arena, just fair warning. Once we get to that, you can just skip ahead or stop listening. I want to first just go around and just have a fun little question of just asking what some of your favorite episodes are, Elizabeth. Those kinds of questions are always so hard for me. Like what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite music? <laughs> um, because it, there's just too much. Um, but I was looking through um, all the seasons and trying to figure out which ones just really spoke to me. And I have to say um, the the first episode um, that, you know, starts the story um, was just so gripping. Uh, it pulls you in. Um, you're meeting all these different characters from these, um, all these different parts of the solar system. Um, and you are just getting introduced to the mystery um, of the story. So I, ha I have to kind of um, give a shout out to that first episode. Um, the In the first season, I like when things are, some of the storylines are coming together. Um, uh, when the characters that have been sort of on separate storylines come together and meet uh, the character, um, like the characters of the Rosinante and um, Miller meet up at, in a hotel and find Julie Mao. That was really exciting. Um, uh, so th those were a couple of standout episodes for me in the first season. And I really, I really, really like the the most recent season's finale, which is setting up things to come. And it's really exciting to um, see those events um, unfolding. And since I've read the books, I know what's coming, but it's so great to see that story starting to unfold. So those were a couple of the the standout for me. And Paul? Yeah. Boy, and this this question when I saw it sent me down that rabbit hole yesterday. I mean, it, I was reading and looking stuff. And my wife's like, are you coming down tonight? And I just kept looking and looking and watching and watching. Um, and agree, I, I agree with Elizabeth that that first season, again, that was what 
really attracted me to the series early on was the world world building itself and the realism and all of that. Um, but honestly, the first part of the first season, I had problems because because I had read the books first. My brain was having difficulties picturing uh, the actors I imagine or the characters in the book with the actors I see on the TV. And so that took me a little bit of while, a little while. Um, so as I tried to pick this from what was my favorite episode as I was watching it, not looking back. And the one that came to mind first was uh, season three, episode 11, uh, Fallen World. And um, to recap on that one, that's the spin the drum episode where they spin the uh, behemoth to create gravity. And so I was going through as I was watching it again. The reasons I liked it, I guess, the first one would be just the realism, the physics. Um, you have Naomi stuck in her ship and a fire breaks out. And, and zero G, instead of fire, it's like plasma uh, slowly building up until, you, uh, until she blows it out the airlock or the equivalent. Um, again, the whole thing with the all the wounded, because again, for those who haven't seen that episode, um, all the ships are instantly brought to a halt basically and all the people just go bouncing everywhere and so you have people dying and people bleeding out and um i forgot her name but she goes in there and she's saying why don't we get some stitches out and sew these people up and he's like we're in zero g there's no way these injuries can drain um the blood's going to pull up inside somebody clot and they're just going to die um so, and again, just spinning that massive ship at the end to create one gravity so the people can be healed. So the realism was, I always really loved that in the series. Um, another reason would be, again, you get a whole or a part of an episode of Drummer and Ashford discussing, talking, singing. Um, again, this is when I think these two characters really started growing on me, which, again, we can talk about characters later. Um, but both of those and their relationship um, really make some, some significant steps at this time. Um, and again, drummer sacrificing herself, not dying, but getting squashed um, to let uh, Ashford out to basically take command. Um, also, and again, I'm talking too long about this, but uh, Naomi coming back. This is the episode where, um, again, she had been gone. And at the end, she goes on the Rosinante and um, Alex and Amos are floating around. Um, and again, she has Amos hooked up and basically says, I'm back for good. You're my family. And again, in his mind, just kind of sitting there pondering that because of that Amos mind, that emotionless mind he has oftentimes. Um, and again, for some reason, the spin the drum part was just awesome for me. Again, Ashford goes up there. He gives his speech, um, calling himself captain. Um, then he says he spins it. And then he welcomes everybody to the ship. Again, you have Earthers and Martians and Belters. And he gives a speech saying, hey, the Belters embrace all of you. And for a brief, very brief time in the show, you actually have like unity and people caring about each other between these three groups before it all falls apart again about five minutes later. So uh, that was the top one for me. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Uh, Paul took my answer and I would like to lodge a complaint. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I, that's, I was, I was literally, I hadn't even this, I'm terrible because I was so excited for this. I just kept thinking about characters. I did think about episodes, but I love this scene with, as you referenced uh, drummer, cause she's my favorite character, which we'll get to in Ashford and just some more context there. They, <laughs> It's such a what's such an amazing way to do this scene because they are um, arguing with one another about the best way um, forward with this with this behemoth and like what how to solve these different issues and they they both um, respect each other enough that they can see each other's perspective and then they're both literally 
stuck. And the only way out is for, is for one person to, um, you know, kind of make that sacrifice. But I also want to reference uh, season one. I want to say it's episode two or three when I really didn't know what was happening yet. And just um, so basically it's such a difficult thing to summarize the plot, but um, the Canterbury has been destroyed. There's four survivors, right? Um, which is later going to be our crew, but there's, I'm sorry, there's five survivors, which are later going to be our crew. And you don't know yet who you're supposed to care about. Like if you're a first time viewer, you know, you don't start off in a Star Trek method, like here's the captain and here's this and here's this. You're like, oh, I don't know who to invest in because everybody's just sort of a character. And then everybody starts dying. Um, <laughs> so the the when they end up um, on the they get captured by a Martian ship, a Martian naval ship. And then they end up that ship is like the best ship, the top ship. You know, you're never, nobody's going to outclass that from a military perspective and they get their ass handed to them. Um, and there's the first swear and, um, you, you know, they, um, they end up having to destroy the ship. And then that's how the crew ends up on the, on the Ross, what they later renamed the Rossinante. Um, and it just, that for me was so great because they do that drama that really in space drama on the on the ship drama and you don't know what's going to happen uh at that point you don't know who's going to make it uh but that's where i was hooked in the show like that until then i was kind of like i don't know why this people think this is so great i mean this guy's really boring holden um (laughs) and we'll talk more about him and i'm like you know i guess the space stuff is cool but meh i don't know and then that all happened and i went whoa okay i'm in if you don't mind me jumping in, I just wanted sure. to um, respond to that. Yeah, I was really surprised because at that point you have um, the main crew that will become the Rosinante and you have the medic character, um, Garvey, and uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> his death. Um, you know, you get to know him a little bit uh, and it totally caught me off guard. I was so surprised that um, his character was killed. Um, it's just so different than other sci-fi shows like, um, you know, Star Trek, where no one ever dies. Uh, the one, the ones that do are, were on screen for like two seconds and they're wearing a red shirt and you know they're going to die. And so it was so surprising and it pulls you into the story, I think. Yeah, I agree. Is Now, is Garvey the one that'll never be head of a major corporation? Is that him? Gets his head knocked off? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> Too strong enough. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a great example because I thought the same thing. That's really where you get that action going and you feel more about the characters and what they're doing. I totally agree. And it and also t- pulls in the the realism um, in terms of you have a whole breach and you have to deal with that and not deal with this unfortunate situation of their crewmate has just lost his head. <laughs> <laughs> and Tiffany, what are some of your favorites? Um, I'm only going to go with one simply because I have way too many and I think I would, I wanted to go with one that was centered around my favorite character who is Roberta Draper and, and uh, season two, episode seven, which was the seventh man. And that is um, Bobby finding out 
she found out how what happened on the attack on Ganymede, but then she's being told to spin it in a different way. And then you find out that everything that she stood for as a Martian Marine is not what the Marines are supposed to stand for. And it's a real test of her commitment, test of her, um, of her faith really in the um, Martian hierarchy of authority, I guess, uh, how she reacts toward that. And it's, I think it is, it's a good, it's a good experience expository look into her character and um and it really kind of puts her on the path to how she she forges ahead in seasons three four five and and beyond um it's it's really she's my favorite i mean she really is i think she's so she's so very interesting and um that's that's definitely one of the episodes i think that where she's a really a standout Awesome. Well, that leads us into what are some of your favorite characters or any characters you just want to at least mention, Elizabeth? Well, uh, the I think all the women of The Expanse are so outstanding. Uh, if you have to pin me down and make me tell you what my favorite character is, uh, that's really hard. Um, I love Drummer. I love Bobby. Um, I love Naomi and Avasarala. They are just all outstanding, strong um, women. Um, who have flaws but um, are are incredibly passionate and smart and um, and tough. And so I I love seeing their stories. Um, yeah, that's their. It's hard to pin down who I like um, because they are just outstanding. Um, I like to see. I like Bobby's growth um, when we first meet her. Um, she's just tough as nails, proud Martian. Um, but over the course of the five seasons or four seasons, since she's not in the first one, um, we've seen her grow and have to confront some difficult realities about um, her home planet um, and their role in some of the um, uh, system-wide <laughs> conflict. Um, and I appreciate when somebody can learn new things and change their mind. And I think um, Bobby shows that she's willing to accept new evidence and new understandings of things and grow because of that. So I think that's um, that's fantastic. I would not want to go up against Avasarala. <laughs> um, she is a tough woman. Um, and I think slight reference to the books. Um, I think she's more intimidating in the books. That's not to say she's not intimidating in the show, um, but there's a quality in the in the books that hasn't come out yet in the in the TV show. Um, yeah, I think the women of the Expanse are just rock stars. And that's nice to hear, of course, since this is, you know, a, most of our panelists and most of our discussions, you know, we're very, you know, from the female point of view. Most of the time, I mean, we have Paul here and we've had a couple of great guys on and stuff in the past, too. But since it is primarily from that, it's always nice to hear when there are strong female characters. I think especially in the genre of sci-fi, which a lot of times women can still feel a little bit left out of. So that's nice to hear. And then Paul? Well, I narrowed it down to four. And then I tried to fight over these four. And it was Abbasarala, again, Elizabeth. As she just pointed out, they say her name different in the audiobooks than in the TV show. Um, Amos, um, Drummer, and then Ashford. And since I think Tanya is going to be talking about Drummer, because she's probably all our favorites, and if I had to vote, it would probably be Drummer. 
Um, I'll let her talk about Drummer and Ashford. And I'll, I'm going to kind of cheat and say it's going to be a relationship. And it's going to be Avasarala and Amos. That relationship, um, again, I love it. Um, that was actually my cheating. Next uh, favorite episode was uh, Season 5, Episode 1, uh, when he walks into her office. Because the way they they are both king of the castle. They both don't care about what anyone thinks. They are fearless. And... Again, they have this weird chemistry. Again, for those who haven't seen it, he's young, gun ho, um, and she's an old, not old, but older politician. Um, but Avasarala is awesome because, again, it's just that presence she has, whether it's her clothing, whether it's her cussing, um, whatever it is, it's just amazing the presence and um, she has when she goes into a room. It's not the typical politician, like you say. And then you have Amos here coming in. So during this one scene, um, he walks in and she's like, you look like shit. And he looks at her and he's like, you look amazing. And she just kind of glances at him. Um, and it goes on and on. And again, later he calls her Chrissy. And again, if anyone else besides Amos called her Chrissy, Chrissy I'm sure she would have them murdered or her look would do it herself. Um, and it's just amazing that relationship, the two, how the two get along. And that's more so in the books. Again, not a spoiler for the books too, but the way they go back and forth and uh, poke at each other and are amused by each other. It's a really unique type of relationship. So that's um, one of that. And I was actually wondering about that with Amos is they stress how much he is attracted to her. And I wonder how much of it is something again, with his horrible upbringing, being abused, being in a brothel, maybe being around women that are, just being judged by their looks or for sex or something like that. How is this something new and just amazing to him? This woman of power that is in control. And like when he walks in, he's like, I think I thought you were queen of earth. Um, so I wonder how that works in his, uh, in his unique mind of, uh, again, the relationship. So I'll stay with those two. And then Tanya. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's great. And I, I just to add to the Amos Avasarala thing, like the, um, there's at one point somebody's talking about Christian on the Rossi and Amos is like, what was she wearing? Like yeah. he just, he just wants to, that's, it's such a, they toss, he gets the best little like non sequitur, but perfectly in character lines that they just kind of throw out and move on. And I, I'm a sucker for that in a sci-fi show, but I love drummer and I don't entirely know why. Um, but I just think she's so fierce and yet, smart and capable and loyal and loving like she's just I don't know such a wonderful character um still struggles but is kind of represents the best of the belter rebellion rebelliousness while still having ethics and a morality um and yeah she's just fantastic as a leader it's it's great to see her um, journey throughout the the seasons. Um, and I will say, as I'm reading the books, I enjoy Holden more than I did. Cause he's the main character. And you're like, why don't I like this guy? It's, he's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with him. He's not unlikable. He's just kind of bland, like toast, you know? And it's like, okay, toast is fine, but like, you know, <laughs> anyway, in the books though, he, you, you understand more of his, it's his POV. So it, I think it humanizes him more. Okay. That said, drummer, absolutely. Ashford, she has a great relationship with who is another similarly positioned um, OPA 
high level operative, I don't even know quite what to call them, like revolutionaries. So they're they're akin to a revolutionary group. And Ashford has lost kids and he's disfigured from fighting in, in wars, et cetera. And he is played by actor, um, oh my gosh, David, is it Strickland? Stratahairn? Who is just, he's very famous. He's always fantastic, like in everything I've ever seen him in. Uh, he was in, um, oh God, about the CBS guy, um, Good Night and Good Luck, like that. Mm-hmm. And anyway, he's fantastic. So hey, you got the George Clooney mention in. I did? Is he in that? No, George is... Clooney directed that, and George Clooney is in that one. Oh. Good night and good luck. You, you, that's the, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm about, I'm not a, you're good. I made it relevant and interesting for Aaron. <laughs> yes. Mission accomplished. Sorry. No. <laughs> He's also in my favorite movie, LA Confidential. So there you go. Um, but yeah, it's their, their dynamic is fantastic because they start as kind of rivals. And I don't want to say enemies, but definitely opposing figures and then they they get to the same page and then they become friends and possibly even like fam- familial type relationship um and all without making either one a love interest for the other which i think is great like this show does a good job even though there is flirting and there's there is love stories and things like that they don't always go to that place to show intimacy between two characters and i really appreciate that I also want to shout out for Prax, um, who is only in season two, three, I think. Yeah, because he's a big nerdy PhD guy. I'm like, all right, I get it. And he's just finds himself in this shitstorm, like of a situation and is manages his way through it. And he and Amos have a really awesome relationship as well. Um, okay, one more thing and then I'll shut up. <laughs> when Naomi, who is the main a female character who ends up in a relationship with Holden goes and is on the behemoth with drummer. I turn to Levi, my husband, I'm like, she should totally dump Holden for drummer. Like, I know that that's not her orientation, but I ship it. (laughs) And I want her to leave Holden and go with drummer. All right. Anyway, that's my piece. (laughs) Well, I totally loved that uh, one episode where Naomi and drummer just cut loose and go to the bar and go out dancing. And that was awesome. Yeah, the part I would clip I was watching last night when it's when Ashford is actually coming on for the first time onto the behemoth and Naomi's like, Don't worry, I got your back and drummer being awesome is like, damn well better, you're I'm your captain. And um but again the real quick, the drummer Ashford relationship again, that first time they meet, I think really shows a lot too, because um again, they're rivals. They have they both are again trying to do what they think is best for the belt. Um, but it's, it doesn't always agree. And so as they're introducing, then Ashford is just poking at her constantly. Um, one of the grunts that with Ashford comes up and makes a smart comment. Ashford just turns and tears into him about you better respect her. She's your captain and all that. And again, yeah, that just dynamic they have throughout the entire season or so until until this season. Um, yeah, that was great. No spoilers. And Tiffany. Well, I know I mentioned Bobby Draper, but I'm going to mention Bobby Draper again because Bobby Draper all day, <laughs> every day. <laughs> um, besides besides Bobby, I'd also like to um, definitely, definitely give a major shout out to Officer Rollo because there is there's something about a woman in a position of power 
who knows she's powerful and knows how to use that power. And then you also see it on somewhat of the flip, fly, flip side when um, she loses a bit of that power and a bit, bit of that influence and how she kind of has to navigate life uh, without having that that inner, that being in, on the inside of um of the, the inner workings of the uh, of the UN. So I like I really, really liked seeing that dynamic um, of hers, just her internal conflict of sorts. Um, of course, we all know where she ends back up, though. And uh, no spoilers. Haha. Um, and besides the two of them, I'd also like to say that I find Amos hilarious. I think he is one of the funniest characters on this show because as Tanya said he does have these these very these almost like throwaway lines that if you don't if you're not listening carefully you almost miss it and it's the way he says it it's so deadpan it's so uh, it's so matter of fact the way he says these things it's like wait a minute are you are you being serious are you are, are you joking or are you being sarcastic I don't understand because <laughs> you're being so straight laced with and so straight faced um but he he's played to to an absolute perfection that character is written so well yeah those the throwaway way line again going back to Avasarala and um, Amos talking the whole thing of he calls her Chrissy and she's like I'm not your favorite stripper. And then he's like, you could be both. And I'm just like, how is this man still alive? How is she just not murdered? And she just kind of gives him a, a little smile, amused by his uh, his ways. But yeah, Amos is great. Such great writing. I can always rely on Amos to make me laugh. And I'm one of those weird people who doesn't always laugh out loud at funny like jokes and shows or, or books. But guaranteed, I'm always laughing out loud with Amos in the in the uh, season five, when he's trying to talk Holden into letting him bring Peaches, um, Clarissa, on board, um, I, I loved his approach at uh, quote unquote negotiation. Um, I was just laughing um, hysterically at that little scene. Genius. I was crying, I think, when that, I was laughing so hard, I was crying. And just one of his lines that cracked me up so much, and it doesn't sound funny out of context, but they're basically debating about whether to um, take things from from deceased people like that they need, like oxygen or I don't know, you know, space supplies. And they're having a little bit of an ethical dilemma. And Amos just like, Amos just matter of fact is like, dead people don't need their stuff and just moves on. And it's like walks through the scene literally. And that's it. And it's so funny. Cause it's like, yeah, that's true. That. And then Prax um, at some point Prax is like something about my, my good friend Amos and Amos is just like, he called me his best friend. And like that really touched him. And he's like, this is my best friend in the whole world. Prax. <laughs> it's just cute. You know? Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was really I, I love these conversations when I don't necessarily know much about the shows because it's just fun listening to everybody else get passionate about certain things. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast. Um, and speaking of passion, I know that this show has a very passionate fan base and I know that uh, sci fi uh, canceled it on May 11th. It was announced and I know, like, the fans, like, gathered over 100,000 signatures with an online petition. They lobbied Amazon Studios and Netflix for a fourth season. They even paid for an airplane to fly a hashtag Save the Expanse banner around Amazon Studios. 
I mean, that's <laughs> that's big. I mean, they had celebrities like Will Wheaton, George R.R. R. Martin, Patton Oswald, a bunch of other people supporting that campaign. And then, of course, on May 26th um, at the International Space Development Conference, Jeff Bezos announced that Amazon had picked up the series up for the additional seasons. So then they were able to start again um, in October of 2018. So I want to talk about that. I don't know if anyone on the panel was involved in any of those petitions or anything like that. Nobody was really involved in that. This is embarrassing because I literally research fan activism and I'm like, I'm going to just go ahead and throw myself under the under the bus. But, yeah, I did not. I I was vaguely aware, but I didn't. This show didn't really hit my radar until the pandemic, actually. And I I, it's a little bit like, why did you pick this show, Tanya? Because it's extremely stressful and like they're dealing with a war and this um, sort of disease thing protomolecule <laughs> and it's like coronavirus and an election and very tense political stuff all happening last year and I'm like this is I'm watching this to relax what's wrong with me you know anyway I did not not know that but that's amazing and it and it makes sense to me I do know that um the writers of this book were George R. R. Martin's editor one of them is his mm-hmm. editor and so if you like the Game of Thrones stuff I hate to I hate the tagline Game of Thrones in space, Game of Thrones, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. It's its own thing. But it does have the very, like, situational dynamics, politics in this setting. Um, so I will say that for it. But it, it's it's interesting that um, it got that kind of support and attention and very, very impressed with the fans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- by the way, Daniel Abraham, one of those, um, he also writes a bunch of other good books, too, as well. So check him out free plug for him um but if you have not watched the video the video when they actually announced that they sh- saved the show is great because it's some big dinner they're all gathered around and bezos is up on the stage and he's like yeah i, f- I should have watched it again but we, we talked like 10 minutes ago or something like that and it's uh we've saved the expanse and they're all the actors are at the table and they're just jump up and they're cheering and they're high-fiving and it's it's really nice really nice to see and again i didn't I wasn't actively supporting it, but I was so, so, so happy when, again, Amazon saved it. Yeah, it's amazing the power fans can have, especially now with social media, too. Because um, I know, I remember back when the show Roswell, the original run of that on um, the WB and stuff. And I remember when they were going to cancel it, the big thing they would do with that one, because all the aliens used Tabasco sauce and stuff, is they would send like tons of Tabasco sauce to the you know to to warner brothers and all that kind of stuff trying to save the show so it is amazing how long fan campaigns have been on of course you know for decades and so when fans get that passionate and especially now that it's easier to try and get people to pick up shows like of course it happened with brooklyn 99 happened with the mindy project which ended up not being a good thing in the long run right tiffany (laughs) no I thought you weren't going to mention it, Aaron. (laughs) I had to. I had to. But yeah, sometimes it can be a good thing and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Tanya, you were going to add something there. No, that's I was just going to shout out and say that I think this the fan um, campaigning for Save the Show goes all the way back to the original Star Trek series. And it was mostly women. And that's um, something that's frustrating for me endlessly in sci-fi and fantasy and pop culture spaces is that 
the assumption is that it's it's disproportionately, you know, 18 to 40 year old men who who are into these products. And it's just as much women. And they get out there and do the activism. And Winona Earp is a more recent example. Um, they, I think, ended now in their fifth season. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Um, but they did save that show um, through coordinated fan effort um, after the original like production studio couldn't couldn't uh, continue producing it. So they did get a fourth season after it was it was canceled. Tiffany, were you involved at all in this one or? I was not. I think I've been somewhat um, jaded by the <laughs> the, the, <laughs> fan, the fandom uh, save a show type of uh, <laughs> type of situations. And that's just from my experience with the Mindy Project. Um, but no, I was and I it's funny because I hopped on this show when it was still on sci-fi um and then so i was i was aware the sci-fi had had um canceled it or decided not to pick it but i sometimes cancel sounds so harsh decided not Mm -hmm. to pick it back up um and then when amazon uh did decide to to save it i was very well i was very pleased with that because i thought that the show still had a lot of life left in it um, I think that's always one of the things that's the hardest to really think about is when a show, when you have it end on a cliffhanger or, and it feels very, very unfinished. And that's what it felt like. It felt very unfinished because you can obviously see that the, the writers and the, and the showrunners felt that they had more, that they thought they were getting another season and they thought they had more time to, to wrap things up. So it's, I love the engagement that fans have. And like you said, Aaron, um, it is so much easier now to engage with these, um, with these studios, with the Netflixes and, and Hulus and, and everybody else out there. It's a lot more, um, it's a, it's a lot more in your face. You just get, you just have to reach out and grab it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people are paying attention to that more because the ratings don't always mean as much anymore. It's the social, media impact and stuff because a lot of people don't watch live television anymore it's very rare I mean I know I cut the cord quite a few years ago so it's it's very rare that people watch shows live anymore and and I know you know I we're going to be covering shows that only had one season and deserved another season later this year and then we're going to be talking about my so-called life and with my so-called life (laughs) I loved that Elizabeth (laughs) yeah I mean that was an amazing show and talk about leaving on a cliffhanger. And I think if social media had been around then, like it is now, that kind of thing, I think that show would have been saved in a second. I mean, it just, yeah. I was devastated when that show mm-hmm. got canceled. Um, and I was so happy when they finally came out with a you know, DVD box set and I got the uh, special edition lunchbox um, outer <laughs> cover. I was like, yes, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was I was bummed too because that talk about you really that show really really ended on a cliffhanger. I mean, there was no wrapping up and you know, and I mean Firefly is another one that everybody wanted a different another a second season of and yeah, it's, there's a lot of shows out there like that. Um you know, and of course you also have like movies with uh the Snyder cut of Justice League. That was a big part of that were the fans like demanding that for years. <laughs> It wasn't just like a little tiny little demand. It was like for a long time. But I'm glad you brought up uh, women playing such an important role in that, Tanya, because I do agree. I think people don't really think about that. 
as much it's a big problem is you've got um, a lot of people just thinking about fanboys and not fangirls for lack of a better that was my point apparently uh the show this is us um which i don't watch reference the harry potter alliance um this week on their show but they described the harry potter alliance as quote dudes who cosplay at least this is what i got oh, really? from online I don't know because I don't watch the show, but uh, I trust the people who were tweeting about it. And um, Harry Potter Alliance took a very high, high ground, um, you know, reaction was like, thanks for the mention. If anyone's interested in our actual work with um, fan activism and getting books to kids and advocating for girls and women and reading and all these other great, amazing things that they do beyond the fandom like to make the world a better place here's how you can get involved and they had this thread and huh. it was just it was just really interesting to see that um some of those stereotypes for whatever reason still still you know persist yeah i mean i know i mean supernatural itself that they know that the majority of their fan base is female and yet even in the show when they're doing conventions most of the people at the conventions are male in the show, even though if you go to an actual supernatural convention, it's 99% female. So that's, yeah, even the own show creators who should know this stuff <laughs> still have the same problem. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I'll, I'm, I haven't watched the latest episode of This Is Us because I do watch that show. And we're actually going to be talking about that show in a couple of weeks, listeners. So keep an ear out for that. Okay, so I want to talk about how this show blends science fiction and noir detective work, which I'm a big fan of noir stuff. So that appealed to me. Um, so I want to talk about that, Elizabeth. Well, I just wanted to um, kind of pose a question to you all about uh, the announcement that uh, The Expanse would be ending after season six. Uh, so we kind of have a second cancellation. Um, so what, what do you all think about that? announcement it is difficult for me to say since we are caught up on the books and we know how many books are left um i think i know how they're going to do it and i think it'll be a good good spot for it to end but at the same time yeah it's like oh come on give us a few more seasons but again it's the balance between uh do you want to burn do you want to burn out or fade away kind of thing do i want to end while it's great or do i want to keep going and going and going and maybe eventually it peters out so I'm torn on it. That's my response to it. I'm hoping that there will be, you know, fan support for continuing the story in another in another way, um, whether it's a miniseries or movie to sort of wrap up the the story that we know is is there in the books. Yeah, I would like a miniseries because, again, it looks like they're going to wrap up after big book six. And again, as for everyone else out there, the ninth and final book comes out this November. So that's still three books left that won't be covered, which, again, stuff we can't talk about. So it's like the opposite of Game of Thrones, where we're never going to get the next yeah. books. But yeah, just to, I, I don't know. I hadn't processed it yet. Um, but I guess I agree. Like, I think part of what makes this show so great is they they really did a good job with um, what they have, like adapting this for TV and then also it's a, was it like 10 episodes a season or something like that? 10, 12. So it's, it's, you get a lot more quality, I think when that happens and writing and everything necessarily has to be that much more intentional, I think. Um, <clears throat> so I, I do really appreciate that, but I could definitely see a mini series or like a made for 
Amazon film couple or two. That'd be cool. the one. The one negative way it impacted this last season was those last few episodes when you had Naomi stuck in the ship. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. And then I'm like, come on, let's go. We got we got four books to cover. Let's get moving. And I found found myself like it was taking away from it because I knew we only had one season left, which was kind of a drag because the episodes we had were still so great. Tiffany, what are your thoughts on that? Feelings on it ending? I, I hope that um... – they can find well in terms of let's go back <laughs> your original question about <laughs> noir and sci-fi <laughs> because yeah, I was we going can off, get that <laughs> yeah we can get to that <laughs> I was, yeah yeah I was going in a totally different direction from that but um I actually love I love the balance and the blending of the two of those genres because I think it really they lend itself they lend themselves to um compatibility to be honest with you um I think when you have these uh, detective, um, this kind of detective vibe, and you're doing detective work in space, though, very dope. The whole, uh, as in the whole um, situation, like with the proto molecule, them trying to find a way to actually destroy the proto molecule, that was total detective work and that's also you know the very basis of sci-fi what it's scientific discovery and trying to find out how to destroy something that might not be destroyable i'm using that as a word i'm i'm trademarking it (laughs) destroyable um yeah so i i think i think they're really it's a really really strong uh framework that that works so so well and the show does a really good job of it too um not every sci-fi show can can have you know like a detective show within a show type of deal not everyone can can really make that work um the star trek discovery does a really good job with that also with their uh i mean discovery is in their name so uh it should work (laughs) if it didn't that would be a major problem (laughs) yeah i think the the, i love that as well i'm i'm a big fan of noir or neo-noir and i think eventually we're watching brick right aaron and talking about it uh ryan johnson's film no not this year but okay sometime eventually we definitely will because i love that point, movie i think yeah. it's a really good movie to talk about <laughs> yeah for sure um we so definitely cover a bunch of neo-noir movies so yeah that'd be like. great that'd be great um so i love that and this show for me reminds me in a very good way of the reboot of battlestar galactica in the early 2000s um because you've got a bit of that you know there's there's this um sort of extinction event looming. <laughs> there's geopolitical issues. Um, there's a, a sort of who, who is causing these things, who is, who is turning, um, making the, the things happen. Cause you don't know that in this show either. Um, and then it, it ends up being a lot less coordinated intentionally. And then it's more in the expanse versus Battlestar. It's like, okay, the Cylons are sort of behind the scenes of all of this, but in the expanse, it's much more just a lot of different humans having conflicting interests. So I feel like this is very as fant- fantastical as this world is. It's very real, and I think that's one of the things that makes it so great. Is you're like, yeah, Star Trek. We're we're not gonna like solve all human problems and then just go around to space and and bring them, you know, all the great things about about um, <laughs> Earth culture. 
um, it's much more, we are still dysfunctional as a society and we're still, we're struggling with inequality. Um, there's still all kinds of divisiveness and, and things like that and, and resource scarcity. And in the same way that in Game of Thrones, the, the uh, Westeros and, and all those folks should be worried about the White Walkers, right? That's what you should be worried about. And I always say that is a commentary on global warming, I think, even though the White Walkers are cold. Um, I think the same way in this, uh, part of our, our, our team, our crew, they're trying to figure out how to let everybody know that the protomolecule is something you need to think about and be concerned about and people manipulating it and trying to use it for their advantage, right, is something you got to be more cognizant of instead of having these little wars between um, the belt and Mars. And not that that's not important as well, but so I see that analogy for sure. Yeah. Um, jumping on that, I totally agree. Um, I like how the detective story, I mean, we start off with the first, it's kind of like three trilogies if we're looking at the nine books and the first trilogy is kind of like the first two, three seasons, I think it is. Um, but I mean, you have the detective story that includes even the hat, the 1920s, whatever detective hat we have walking around on a space station. So that's great. Um, and again, I think it's something that's lost once, uh, once Miller goes elsewhere. Um, but again, I also like with that detective story, again, like you were saying, you have this proto molecule out there, but the, every corner he goes around, it's the people that are messing things up. It's either the earth earthers or the Martians or the belters trying to use it, trying to gain political or military advantage. Um, and again, that was another thing that kind of appealed to me in the series early on was again, they may not look, they may not judge people by the color of their skin or anything like that now, but you still have the same issues between earthers, Martians and belters where they're just, it's the same kind of biases and racism. It's just changed in this new situation. Um, and so that was the part of the detective story that really appealed to me early on was again, Miller and Holden and trying to figure this out. And then, like you said, as we shift into the next phase of it, it's less Miller and more of a just straight sci-fi detective show of trying to figure out what this proto molecule is. But again, it's the, it's the humans behind the scenes that are again, causing 90% of the problems and the deaths and the destruction involved. So. Go ahead, Elizabeth, if you wanted to add something. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, it's it's not giving anything away, but like um, uh, Tanya and Paul have already said, we start with this real detective story um, with these really clear noir noir elements. Um, and at first, I the, the tone shifts once Miller goes away, um, but I feel like we've just replaced one mystery with another. Um, so we've moved from what happened to Julie Mao, we've moved to what is this proto-molecule, and we're building towards um, learning more about the civilization that made the proto-molecule. So we've just, like an onion, unwrapped layers of mystery. And so even though my initial reaction was there's something less noirish um, once we lose Miller. Um, I I hold on to that um, that detective work as they are unfolding each layer of the next mystery that's all interconnected. Um, so that's that's how I kind of link back to noir, even though it's not as obvious without Miller. Yeah, and we'll definitely have to cover more noir stuff on here because I I love that genre. I know that some people have 
issues with uh, women in some of those. Um, so we'll definitely have to talk about that too. So, okay, so let's get into, um, we're gonna get into sort of the Me Too area here. So just another trigger warning heads up. So if you don't want to listen to this part, feel free to stop here. Um, and I wanna talk about that because I guess one of the stars here, um, Cass Anvar, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, so it did come out that he has been accused of um, he was under investigation for sexual misconduct allegations. And we've talked before on this show. We did a whole episode on Me Too, and we're going to be doing a couple episodes coming up during this year about how when we consume media, that it turns out that the people that created the media, the people that star in the media, turn out to be horrible, awful human beings, how that affects how we view that media, how do we feel about still consuming it. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, Elizabeth? It was definitely upsetting to learn um, the behind the scenes uh, events that were occurring. And we don't have a lot of details. There's not been a lot published. Um, I think the the show made a difficult decision to I'm not going to ruin anything by sharing what happened to the character. Am I? No, you can say spoiler if you want. to. OK, say OK. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> um, uh, the show wrote the character out of the of the show. Um, and so the actor playing uh, the character of Alex Kamal is not going to be on the show going forward. Um, and I think that's that's important because they are taking the allegations seriously and there are real consequences for um, that kind of behavior um, on the part of the actor. Um, I don't think it's taken away my enjoyment of the show or even the character um, because it was something that was addressed in kind of in real time. Um, looking back at other shows where there are problematic producers or directors, um, it does give me more pause. Um, if it's an actor playing a character, I don't think it has the same impact on my fan reaction to the overall production than if it was somebody uh, higher up that had more influence on the entire production. Um, so the, you know, allegations against um, Joss Whedon um, are um, problematic and disturbing. And I grew up watching Buffy and Angel and Firefly. And so uh, I have to wrestle with <laughs> what does that mean for my enjoyment of those shows now? Um, but I think this was a smaller scale um, event, um, but it it's representative of a much larger problem and a pervasive problem in the industry. Yeah, definitely. And we are going to be covering um, Buffy. We're going to be re revisiting Buffy later on this year. And we're mainly just going to be focusing on that, on um, having to wrestle with the fact that Joss Whedon has been accused of horrible things and he's not not a good person. And this has been years that people have been accusing him of things. It's not even something new. Um, so wrestling with that and wrestling with the fact that you think of a person who has supposedly who's created so many strong women and then also having to reexamine that media and see how there are some problematic aspects of that too. So, yeah. And Paul. Yeah. Even going back decades with Wheaton now, even more so than years, God, I'm getting that old, <laughs> but yeah, like um, Elizabeth was saying again, that's something that 
it breaks my brain at times, whether it's Bill Cosby or Wheaton or um, my brain just died. Alex, the actor's name. I'm sorry. Um, because I want to go back and watch those shows and I grew up watching those shows and enjoy those shows. And now it's it's tainted because of somebody doing horrible, horrible things. Um, but specifically with the expanse, I think they handled it about as good as you could. Um, again, for the little bit I looked at and read, um, he did and texted and did all kinds of horrible things out there. And they very quickly hopped on it, especially a show that um, pushes diversity and women in places of power and all of that stuff. They immediately hopped on it. They investigated it and they said, that's it. They didn't film any more scenes with them. They took what they had filmed with them. And again, spoiler alert, um, they just wrote him out of the show and killed him in the last episode. I mean, so much so that more spoiler alerts um, in the last scenes when they're all sitting around in their nice clothes, uh, celebrating all of that. They flat out just scrubbed him out of those shots. I've seen some of the shots where he's sitting in this chair and the shots in the TV show, that chair is just magically empty. Um, so I think they dealt with it how you should, no tolerance and um, again, send a message with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tanya. I agree. Yeah, I was um, I really respect that once they became aware of these um, allegations, the, the production company hired an investigator. Um, they they did try to do their due diligence. And this was more than one instance and more than one person um, who had uh, complained about harassment and assault um, and inappropriate conduct. Like it was kind of a, a plethora of garbage. Um, and I think that I really respect the choice to just go, yep, you're done. You're absolutely, we're not going to recast you. We're not going to, you know, we're going to be absolutely done. And I believe, um, Stephen Strait, who plays Holden is also a producer, if that's right. And maybe has directed some of the show, not positive, but I feel like one of you, Paul or Elizabeth sent me something where they had quoted him or he was speaking about it. And he was just like, we're done with him. He's he, what he did was horrible, like spoke out very publicly against the actions and very decisively. And so I, I think that was, I'm hoping a model for how to handle things that, um, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna have consequences. And I really hope conventions do not hire this person because some of several of these instances happened at conventions. Um, and I think that conventions need to jump in and take a hard, um, stance on this, on shutting this down as well. Lead mm -hmm. by example. Yeah, because there have been quite a few actors in other fandoms as well, some in um, Supernatural, that have also been accused of a lot of things that come out of conventions. So it's that thing of using your fans and taking advantage. And that happens with a lot of these that will come forward. Um, you know, Army Hammer, I think, was another one that was also doing inappropriate stuff with fans and then i know there's been quite a few others and tiffany your thoughts i am in agreement with everybody and the way that they handled the ending of cast and bars association and affiliation with the show um it's one thing to like do a an entire like basically let them ride out the end of their contract and and you can tell that, that that nothing's really changed and that this was how they were planning on on ending things. This is you can definitely tell that something changed in the very last <laughs> not in the very last minutes, but they just they made a hard and um, and decisive action 
to say that, you know what, we're cutting ties with this guy and this is it. You're going to notice it. You're going to notice how quick this death is. Spoiler alert. You're going to notice that the death is um, very much almost like a second. It's almost it's almost secondhand knowledge. Um, there's a come in, come in. Can you read me? Do you read me? Talk to me. Talk to me. And then there's just a there's a, a shot of that person. And then that's it. And it's done. There's no more. There's no more shots of it. There's no of of him. There's no more mention of the character. And there is. I mean, there's no funeral. <laughs> there's no. There's no wake. There's no memorial. And that. And that's important also from a standpoint of, um, like you mentioned, um, Tanya and Aaron about you know these about conventions. That that's an important part of things because that's residual money lost. You're not in mm-hmm. these. You're not going to be in the, any other further episodes. That's money out of your pocket. So you just completely fumbled the bag, guy. For what? <laughs> for 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 what? What did you do this for? Um, I love to see it. I wish more um, showrunners and more producers would take this hard tack and draw a hard line in the sand regarding this stuff. Don't let people run out their contracts. Just just mm-hmm. just end it. Just end it. Period decisively also like how again they kind of put little things like that in the show um for example it might have been that same episode when they're going against the belters and bull keeps calling them skinnies and holden just one quick simple line says that's the last time you're saying that on this ship again addresses topics like that it doesn't stand them out it just addresses them this is the way it is and it moves on (laughs) so i think it kind of represented the overall mindset of how the show works too Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is that, you know, if you don't do anything about it, if you're in, if you can do something and get these people out there so that they don't continue to make money, so that they don't continue to get seen, so that they don't continue to have power, um, if you don't do anything, it's legitimizing them, in my opinion. Um, you look at, like, Brian Singer, who, yes, he was fired off of Bohemian Rhapsody, but he did most of that movie. That was mostly him. And even though you, you know, when the film was nominated, he wasn't technically nominated, all that kind of stuff. He still, and it eventually went away, he still got a huge contract and deal because that movie did so well financially. And so when a person gets rewarded, even after those horrible things come out, it says to the victims also that you don't matter and what you're saying doesn't matter and we don't believe you. It's automatically saying that even if you're saying that's not the truth, that's what it's saying. Um, you know, there was just a few, a couple days ago um, and I can't remember her name right now. So anybody wants to shout it out, you can do that. But um, an actress who was on the movie, the artist um, with, but she was talking about how Seth Rogen really um, enables James Franco. James Franco, you know, who has been accused of a lot of horrible, horrible things, um, especially with underage women or girls, um, teenagers, and how this actress didn't want to be on The Artist. And she asked to be let out of her contract because of the fact that he is an accused sexual predator. And they all said, well, he's 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 better now. That was in the past. That was so in the past, even though some of these accusations had just come out. And she talked a lot about how, 
you know, how everyone was enabling it and just kind of excusing it, including Seth Rogen. So that's a big thing that, you know, even though Me Too has been around for a few for longer than a few years because um, it was not started by people, by by white people, by white women. I just always want to say that. Um, Serana Burke is the one who started it. I just always, always want to get that out there because people never give her enough credit. But anyway, um, even though that's been around for a long time, there's still so much work that needs to be done. I mean, people didn't really listen to Ray Fisher, and there's a whole article about that with Joss Whedon. They didn't listen to him. Warner Brothers wasn't listening to him. Um, So that's the thing is that this needs to be taken seriously, and the old Hollywood game and system needs to be revamped and changed and I was just going to add to that, not to, uh, hopefully it's okay to kind of chime in here. I think this might have been in something I was reading too, but it's especially important that this show um, addresses this and and draws a a really firm line because the show itself deals with a lot of trauma. And one of the the traumatic, especially this last season, we see um, that Amos had... um, suffered sexual assault as a kid rape probably they suggest it they don't they don't really go into a lot of detail um and then naomi's character experiences a lot of um stalking and like intimate partner violence and we see that domestic violence um as a major uh plot driver and conflict in this season and they do it while showing the characters um, were victims, but also their resiliency and how they're processing it. So it's not just played for the victim, you know, just to, to, to go into like, you know, um, kind of showing something that's just traumatic. It's, it's part of the story and it matters. And it shows the characters having to kind of deal with the continued effects of that. Um, so I think... Given that, this show really especially needed to address this issue, um, given that they wanted mm-hmm. to, to make that point, those points. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So I'm glad that they did, and I'm glad that they handled it the way that they did, too. And especially that they would also handle it where it, um, it sounds like, and I could be totally wrong with the spoiler alert with his death, is that it was almost ha- handled like kind of just a, shrugged off and not celebrating him after and not doing all of that. And that also is important because that sends a message, especially if these are people that are going to conventions to celebrate this show. And then if to take them seriously, to take those accusations seriously, that's a big deal. And that's important. And I hope other shows follow suit with that and other movies and other everything studios all of that so it's very very important okay so i want to just wrap up with i'll just go around quickly and if there's anything else you just want to quickly add that we didn't get to cover that you just want to make sure to just mention about the show elizabeth i don't think i have anything else to add i think this was a really good conversation so Mm -hmm. thank you for having me on you're welcome thank you for being on and paul Oh, I could add stuff for hours. Um, but I think, again, <laughs> like Elizabeth said, I thought we covered some really great topics today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, thank you for having me on thank as you. well. Thank you. 
I am going to say one thing. One thing I love about it, another thing that we didn't talk about is how um, this this version of sci-fi in the future feels very achievable. Like the timeline is a couple of several hundred years in the future. I'm not entirely sure, but like the technology, where technology has gone feels like the next logical steps from what we have right now. And so just a shout out for how they do that. I think is they have hand terminals and they're able to like send the displays with a wave of their hand. Things happen in the air. Um, but like that's that's coming. That feels very real. So I'll just add that. Thank you. And then Tiffany. I want to shout out to the um, costume designer because Avasarola's uh, costumes are just amazing. <laughs> Cool. Thank you for for doing that. Yeah, we don't shout that kind of stuff out enough, I think, people behind they're, the scenes. And they're so good. And I just, sorry, she also gets to swear a whole bunch now that they're on Amazon. Like, she finally <laughs> got to say the line, something about everybody gets a pony and a blowjob. Like, she's a picture, like a 65-year-old grandma saying this, you know, and just so yeah. amazing. Or, or the look on Holden's face when, what does she say, um, don't don't stick your dick in this. It's been fucked enough already. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice when they get on platforms where they can be a little bit more freer. That's the contrast that I just have to point out in the, uh, between the book and the show. Um, the, her swear words, her, her cussing, her attitude is so much more in contrast to her physical description in the book. Um, she's, she's described as much more, like just petite and frail looking and like long white hair. And so like her oldness is sort of emphasized. And so I think the actress playing her is doing a fantastic job, but she just doesn't have that physicality of, of frailty that I think comes out in the book more. And so to have this like really tiny old woman swearing at you is just uh, so much more enjoyable in the book. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see those, those, that vocabulary coming out in the show more. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Okay, well, I want to thank everybody for being on and for this discussion, which I think was really interesting. I loved listening to everybody, um, and I learned a lot, too, so I always appreciate that, and I grew to appreciate this show uh, just from listening to everybody. So I'm just going to close out and go around and just say where you can be found if you want to be found, and if you have anything to promote. I know, Elizabeth, you want to remain anonymous, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm not found anywhere. <laughs> okay. Paul, do you want to remain anonymous? I don't think I can be found anywhere. So <laughs> I guess I guess that's a yes too. Okay. And then Tanya, you can send me a a tight beam. No, I'm just kidding. That's something they uh -huh. do in the show, and it'll get to me in 20 minutes. That's another thing. They send messages, and it takes. It's not instant. It takes some time because it has to go through fucking space. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> I just, you know. Uh, okay, um, I'm Tanya. You can find me on Twitter at, at Prof Cook, Tanya Cook, or at AK Nerdfighting, and the A, K, N, and F are capitalized. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Tiffany? You can find me mainly on the Twitters, and that is at who is Tip is me. Once again, that is at who is tip is me. And I also write for the Game of Nerds, and you can find them across all platforms. That is the Game of Nerds. Awesome. Thank you so much. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at 
E, April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, Tanya will be returning along with MJ, Megan, and Sasha to talk about The Witcher. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Aaron Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Aaron Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.